I'm Dr. Evan Vandriel coming at you from the beautiful desert in Arizona. My entire practice is dedicated to helping people become stronger by accessing more of their nervous system. By approaching the person's nervous system like a computer and the functions of their bodies like the user interface, we can find out in real time what is going on at the body, mind, and soul levels. Somebody once told me to be aware of who I listen to. He also said you should, ideally you should listen to people who have been where you are and have what you want. And that brings us to where we are. Brittany Jordan, the owner of Arizona Beauty Co. She's a business coach, law of attraction guru, and she does this all with the goal of, goal of spreading love and light. So Brittany, the reason I invited you here to be on the podcast is that you seem to have something going on. You've got some kind of spirit. You don't give up. Um, at the same time, you don't take yourself too seriously. So, um, so yeah, that brings me to my first question. What does That's resilience it. mean to you? Um, I feel like resilience centers around finding reasons to get up every day despite what might be going on in your reality. I think that no matter how successful we get as individuals, there's always going to be things that occur and, you know, you're the only person that's going to force yourself through it and over it and on to the next step. So I guess there's, you know, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual resilience. And I think that it just depends on what category you're talking about, but yeah, I would say just, you know, constant movement forward. Yeah, that's well said. That was the, um, that was the next question. How do you, um, how do you keep yourself strong, strong, stable, moving forward, habits, rituals, <laughs> tools? I wouldn't say that I'm always stable. I would say that anybody <laughs> who actually knows me would witness me going in and out of stability. But I think that that's part of it for me because for a lot of years I would try to be healthy all the time and try to be perfect all the time. And I think, you know, this year, and this is something that you've helped me with and, you know, our friendship and just getting more into the healing realm of my physical body, which is something that I was really out of touch with up until starting to come here to True Resilience. But I think that it's about allowing yourself to be in those spaces of wounding. And um, I don't think you necessarily always have to be stable or always have to be perfect. I think you just have to be honest because some of the most damaging years of my life were the years where I was broken and I wasn't admitting that I was in a bad place. And it took the wound a lot longer to heal that way. I feel like that's well said, yeah. Um, I, I don't know why it is, but it seems like people in our society or culture, whatever you want to call it, are are pretty well conditioned to not like want to confront their, their stuff and not mm-hmm. wanting to sit in their, their pain, their trauma, and actually work through it. And so I, I've seen it be the case a lot of times that people just kind of pile um, leaves or mud over that trauma and just like move on, just march on, and then it's still there. Like, yeah. Don't get me wrong, but like... Um, but yeah, so well said. Thanks for, for catching me on that one. Um, yeah, what do you do every, like, what is it, some of the stuff that you do to get done during the day? I think that to, to like tie in what you just said, I think that one of the reasons that people bury it, and this is something I see a lot in the healing work I do with people one-on-one, is that we all have, well, with the exception of you and I, I guess, because we both created businesses in which we can work when and when we need to and how we need to and modify things as they don't work. You know, most of the population doesn't have the luxury of that. And I think that you and I took big risks in having our practices and creating realities, but I don't know about you, but that was because I literally could not exist in a corporate environment because healing and growth is my number one priority. So that being said, you know, sometimes, especially with you or when we go through these deeper wounds, it's hard for me to go to work the next day. It's hard for me to look at some of the things and then it takes me a day or two to shift. 
So I do my healing work contingent kind of upon what I have going on. And I think that for everybody listening or just the general public, it's finding spaces in which you can fall apart and have a day or two to recover because I think that that is one of the reasons people don't fully dive into their trauma because who wants to sit and cry or dive into a wound and then have to hop on a phone meeting or head to the office right after and then, you know, it's just two different two different sides of the same person. So something that I do um, that works on a low vibrational level, well, it's a high vibrational level, but like it's always working in my life is that I sleep to different things. So a lot of my ego was in the way for my healing and very scared of that last final bit of shifting. And so I'll listen to, you know, a lot, a lot of times lately I've been doing 963 Hertz because it's the vibration of the crown chakra. And I feel like since I've started doing that, the divine intervention has been insane because I think that that's one of the parts of my particular body that gets very clouded by just living on this planet. And before that, when I was um, struggling with a lot of my healing, I would do subliminal reprogramming. So around law of attraction and financial abundance, and I would do that a lot, every single night. And I think that that helped me shift my belief system because these these affirmations are playing through your head as you sleep and you're not in the way of your own transcendence, so to speak. Good word, transcendence. Yeah, I feel like this sub, um, subconscious, unconscious, however you want to call it, um, this part of our mind that's running in the background that has more power than our conscious mind, um, basically defines our beliefs and our um, and our behavior is not something you can just say I'm not going to drink today or I'm I'm going to go to the gym every day for the next month or whatever like it's not as simple as that like reprogramming is a big deal one of the things that we do in the office here um, the, like my favorite way to do this sub, sub subliminal like kind of reprogramming is um, through the acupuncture system mm -hmm. and using muscle testing and so we can test people to say like um Again, statements like, I'm okay going to the gym, or I'm okay uh, eating health healthfully, or I'm okay talking to my dad, or whatever it is. So, and then if there's enough emotion in the background that's um, that's preventing pe people from even doing those simple things, then um, that's that's what's ultimately going to manifest in their life. So that's cool. There's I didn't hadn't really thought about this whole listening to things at night, but that's basically when, you, when you're in a more, like, theta more receptive um, state so yeah do you feel like it reverses itself after you do that on people or is it something that just stays like that like it shifts and then it stays shifted or yeah. do they go back into it no they it stays shifted unless um unless there are a lot of different triggers around a specific event so like using the acupuncture system in this way is is um it's kind of like picking things off with a sniper rifle like we can get down to like it was this temperature in the room, and I, I smelled this, and it triggered this emotion. Mm -hmm. And so, and we can use that, that visceral response to that, like that psychological, that thought, basically, and clear it in that moment. And then usually it doesn't come back unless the the person, I guess, is in that same traumatic like situation over and over again. But if they've like moved on from that, or, or grown, or done any kind of work to move past it, but they're still just subconsciously like freaked out about it. Um, then it usually clears it wow. one and done yeah awesome fun stuff I know with ayahuasca they say like you shift for a while but sometimes one of the biggest issues with that which is why I love ketamine which I'm sure we're going to get to at some point but yeah I think that that's one of the reasons why I 
did ayahuasca a few times for my trauma and PTSD and never went back to it because I definitely noticed I would shift for a while. And of course it helped. Of course it did. But I don't think it helped in the same way because it is so traumatic and so long lasting. And then you do kind of just go back. You're so jarred by it that myself and maybe others, I just kind of had to close the book for a while. I couldn't revisit that level of healing again for probably a year. I don't think I really did anything. Yeah, no, I've had experiences like that too. Like this, um, some of these plant medicines, they have strong journeys associated with them, mm-hmm. and the, depending on the dose, I guess that you that you embark on, but or use to embark on that journey. But um, yeah, I feel like heavy use of these kind of these trip these tryptamine hallucinogens is like, tw- like once twice a year. Like that's yeah. pretty heavy use in my mind because yeah. these things can totally rearrange you. Yeah, um, absolutely. So yeah. Right on. So, um, so we talked about. Let's go into ketamine. Yeah, since mm-hmm. you brought that up, it's um, this is an interesting drug. I think that's a good way to, to call it. Um, but, but it can be a ver- it can be quite a powerful medicine. What um, what's been your experience? So, I'm actually glad that we're talking about this on both of our first podcasts and also to all of our following because I think that anyone who follows either of us or watches our success or watches what we do might not automatically assume that this is something that I've done countless times. Um, I've been pretty open with my clients and just people in my life now and anybody listening to this knows me probably knows about it because it's something that I've really tried to express. Um, Dr. Evan, you actually tried to convince me to do this for quite a while before I actually would agree to it because uh, I've never really been one for drugs that take me out of my body. So especially like marijuana included, I lived in Denver when they legalized it. I've never been one who resonates with you know being out of my body. I actually felt like smoking weed made me worse, made everything that I was struggling with worse. And I've heard that from a lot of people, too, who are very heady, like people who are intellectuals, and especially me being an empath, I feel and hear and know so deeply as it is that adding that layer on, I really was ungrounded. Um, So that being said, when I did ketamine the first time, I, in that moment, I remember as soon as I felt the effects of it, I thought, this is literally my favorite drug. And it had been such a level of love and comfort that I had never experienced before. So it took away all of the pain of, you know, I told you I'm very, I was very disconnected from my physical being. And you had originally told me to do it because I was struggling pretty severely from codependency just by being raised with abandonment and neglect and emotional and physical. And it messed with my nervous system and my vagus nerve and my fight or flight response made it so I was consistently in anxiety, consistently having panic attacks, um, had a super successful business, did not feel worthy of that had plenty of healthy people in my life who wanted to spend time with me, chose very toxic, abusive partners just out of sheer, um, I mean, I don't know how to say it. What, being asleep, being unaware? What would you say? Like why we choose just unconscious patterns maybe? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think part of it is that sometimes like the devil you know is not to be cliche, but it's better than the the angel you don't know. I don't know if that's exactly how that goes, but at least if it's comfortable, or like you know what it's going to be like, then yeah. sometimes that's a, like a good enough reason to make those kind of choices. Absolutely, yeah. So I had um, said goodbye to someone in my life who was actually very healthy that had come along and for the first time in my life had confronted me about 
some of the things that were very, very toxic for relationships that I was bringing to the table. And I think that that was the moment I called you and I said, okay, I'm ready. So I went into it, you know, more so to figure out how to be in a healthy relationship. And what ended up happening was I've gotten to this point now where I'm so absolutely content being by myself. And that's been like a really weird side effect that I didn't anticipate, but also, you know, the monkey mind. I no longer walk into rooms and wonder if anybody there likes me. I no longer really care the feedback that I get from others. And I stand really strong because I've eliminated that inner child wound because I was able to dissociate with ketamine and kind of look at, look at the situation more clearly and understand that, you know, the people that raised me and the, the wounds, they came from wounded people, right? Like hurt people, hurt people. And I was able to have a lot of forgiveness, um, around those instances. So they no longer caused me such a, like a triggered emotional response. That is really cool. I love, I love when that happens. Um, great story. Yeah. And this whole, this whole idea of, um, dissociation, it's, um, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to dissociate. Some people drink, some people play video games, some people, uh, I guess I'm talking about myself now. Those are, those are the <laughs> two ways too. that I've done that <laughs> in the past. And yeah, I'm not totally beyond that, um, for sure. But, um, but yeah, dissociation is one of these weird things. It's like, why would you, yeah, why would you want to leave? Right. right. But I think this whole, um, the ketamine can sometimes, especially if you have um, like a clear intent going in, intention, something you want to let go of or something you want to step into, um, it allows you a, it's almost like a third party view of this thing mm-hmm. as opposed to being in it and steeped in it and like triggering all the emotions that are, that are around it. You can kind of just see it for what it is. And then um, I've heard some cool stories about people like breaking through walls. Yeah. Like I know it's like a metaphor, but some of these, um, uh, psychedelic medicines can like that's how the that transformation happens it's like you physically feel that wall break down and then it's something's just different after that do you so, want like an example of that yeah would yeah. you because i don't Hit think i've ever that, really yeah. told you okay i mean i've told you this like light fun. versions of it but it's um so i did i did what would intramuscular is that what yours is that what you would call yours where mm-hmm. you so with Dr. Evan, I did a few sessions, probably three, before I did psychiatry along with it. So I did the first couple um, here, and that just allowed me to kind of transcend myself because you're in such a blissed out state that you really truly are completely realigning. And so once I got comfortable in my own skin and my own body, I actually did one session in the middle. Um, he was booked and our schedules were misaligned and I happened to run into somebody who did psychiatry along with it. And so I did a different version with a lozenge. So I feel like I had more of a shift physically and overall doing the intramuscular. But the time I did psychiatry, I was actually talking about a certain situation. And I had two people in my life at the time that were romantic partners and I was transitioning from one relationship into the other. And I was having trouble with both and neither felt particularly comfortable. And it was this weird moment where all of a sudden I like backed out of my body and I could see both individuals standing in front of me and like not standing there, but like in my mind's eye, right? Like my eyes are open, but I like, they were there. Mm -hmm. And I recognized one represented every single positive aspect of my stepfather and one represented every single positive aspect of my real father and I was oscillating between these two beings that were just representative of my childhood wounds, but both neglectful, both not around, both extremely distant, very uncomfortable with emotions, um, the people who raised me. And then also embodied in, you know, earth form were two people who had all of their positive 
attributes were, were just out of reach enough to where I could not be in relationship with them. And I remember leaving and exiting both relationships probably within a matter of two weeks. And, you know, that was at the beginning of the summer. And since then, I mean, both doors closed, like no, no issues whatsoever, just completely was able to recognize those traits. And since then, it's been weird. I'll go on one date or have one conversation and I can see it now without any hesitation, which is something that I came to you for a year and a half ago. And it was just that one hour and a half session and it completely removed itself. That is awesome. And this is, um, so this is the kind of medicine that I get excited about. Like these things, like this one and done, like not, it's not always one and done, but like this kind of thing where a huge shift happens in a short amount of time, like it's super efficient, inexpensive, really, really safe. Um, that's what, that's what jazzes me, um, in this field. Um, the, the thing I wanted to say is you, uh, you made me sound like a drug pusher over here. Um, <laughs> you're like, I'm trying, I was trying no, to No, no, no. But I know, I know what you mean. But the reason that I, um. Encouraged. Yeah, me encouraged. Too. Yeah. Is that, um, there's a certain pattern that people present with when they, um, when ketamine's a good choice for them. And so, and one of the things is, is the sympathetic dominance piece. And so like this, like there, there's the fight or flight, fight and or flight. And then there, there's the rest, uh, rest, digest and heal branch, sympathetic, parasympathetic. And people who are stuck in sympathy for whatever reason, um, they're just like more on edge or wired. They don't feel safe. And, um, and part of it. And so that, that's one thing, sympathetic dominance. Um, if your neurotransmitters are out of balance, like if people have low levels of GABA, and high, lo- high levels of catecholamines, like adrenaline, this can definitely push that whole sympathetic branch of the nervous system. Um, people who are under chronic stress, mm-hmm. or like, or have been under chronic stress, there's this pruning of the nervous system that takes place, like, where um, the immune system actually, like, breaks down the brain. And so this is part of the reason that they think that d- depression happens. Mm. And so, um, so there's this wired, um, like, the brain, um, or the nervous system being, like, super wired but there's also this like reduction in the interconnectivity between the neurons in the brain and so this is really where ketamine shines because um it increases levels of bdnf brain drive neurotropic neurotrophic factor which is kind of like growth hormone for it's like it is to the brain what growth hormone is to like the muscles and the bones like it stimulates growth neurogenesis and uh it's, it's a synaptogenic so it helps the brain to make the connection so this is why these kind of like these kind of um, experiences where say, yeah, you're projecting, I think Jung would call this the projection of the animus, um, like this ideal, idealized masculine figure onto these people who Mm -hmm. aren't really necessarily embodying it and like seeing that and then like separating the two. Um, Like your brain's like totally lighting up when you're doing ketamine. And so it like, it allows it to rewire itself in a way that you're like, you get it at a deeper level than you would have otherwise. So that's cool. Yeah. Thanks for so for like that, yeah. the for the for the eighteen year olds out there that have no <laughs> idea what any of that. So just basically, it's like resetting. I don't. I didn't know any of that until obviously like this moment right now. Oh, but okay, cool. but I think that it's just yeah. That's exact. It literally is. It's like a reset. It's like if you were to reboot yeah. your computer and there is a virus, you know, and reset. it's it completely. I like shut down and then boom, like back online, but. I don't know, as a comp- with a completely different programming, like without a knee, it was the knee jerk response. I was like, oh, cool. I, you don't want to call me back or you don't want to do this or you talk down to me. Like, I feel super comfortable with that. But I didn't even recognize 
And everyone could tell me, you know, I was in therapy every week. It wasn't something that anyone could consciously tell me. It wasn't until I was dissociated without that pattern in the way that I could see it and go, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And no wonder I was so unmet and unhappy and seeing that. I think that, I think that that could be true for a lot of people with addiction. So it's an addictive partners, relationships, also addiction, but drinking, why do you drink? Why do you smoke? Right. I know I smoked for a long time too. And we've talked about this getting to the root of why you do something, it will literally go away. Yep. Like, I haven't craved a cigarette since, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, likewise, I used to smoke, and um, NET was part of it. Um, yeah. There was some neurochemistry that I needed to get balanced, too. Like, um, uh, nicotine seems to stimulate acetylcholine that, like, it, like, gets your gut moving. It's, like, um, helps your brain to make new, or uh, put short-term into long-term memory, like this whole choline deal, so... I mean, I like that, the feeling of the nicotine, but replacing that with biochemical things and then reducing the triggers, like wanting to get, like, get away from people was one and just, like, have time to myself. I don't know <laughs> if I'm the only one who's like that, but I'm kind of a hermit in general, I guess. But um, anyway, yeah. So, yeah, you're right. I, I guess, yeah, clearing out the underlying stuff can definitely change your behavior at the surface level. If there's, like, one person that's, like, that's listening and you were to say you would benefit from ketamine. I think everybody would because I think everyone has wounds in some capacity, but is there like one overall behavioral pattern that you could say, if you're like X, you should be in my office next Tuesday? Because sometimes I struggle to know who it would help the most, and I know a lot of people ask me about it. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think the people who who I've dosed um, dosed with it that have been helped the most are people who uh, who are serious uh, or they, they have like a reason to do it if that makes sense like they have they know where they want to get to mm-hmm. and they know and they've seen like you said like they've talked to people they've been made aware of these patterns but they're just not able to make that that choice and move into it mm-hmm. and so and those are the people I think who, who have the most room who are the most open to this kind of transformative experience um, that and people who are depressed like people who just can't just don't have it they, they lost it whatever like whether it was a traumatic event or just chronic stress that they just shut down their nervous system ketamine is one way to to kind of bring it back online the depression it has been huge for me how's huge. that well mm-hmm. I feel like before I met you I mean I had been on depression medication when I was younger And then I moved here, like I left Minnesota and came here when I was 20. And I think a lot of my 20s, I was distracted, you know, boyfriends, college, whatnot, busy, partying, you don't really pay attention. And I think you, you know, entering my 30s, it was a really big bump because while I had like pretty successful life, it was, you know, I was having a hard time adjusting to the pain coming back because I didn't have anything to distract me anymore. And I think that I, after doing ketamine, I mean, I was having, I was very, I was like on the verge of suicide like I was having suicidal thoughts and while I wasn't contemplating acting on them like it was just such an apathetic like well you know if I don't wake up tomorrow that's fine and I think that you know crying and just being really out of alignment and I mean it's complete that's completely shifted and anytime it seems to come back and I guess today I did what was it two weeks ago 10 days ago I did a session. Mm-hmm. I remember two weeks, right before that, I felt like out of alignment again because I hadn't come and seen me since the beginning of summer, I think. It had been a couple months, and I noticed myself 
slipping back into new layers of the same trauma. And I got, I came here. I said, I, you know, I want to be realigned. I want to be healed. And I haven't until this moment thought about being sad since that. Wow. Yeah, it's just so powerful. Powerful is a good word. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Tell them how you administer it because they probably don't even know like what the experience is like, right? Anybody's going to be like, well, what do I do? What's it like? What are you going to oh, do to me? I guess, yeah, logistically, um, it's it's just an intramuscular injection, intramuscular meaning into the muscle. So, I mean, there, there are many different ways to administer ketamine. One is um, the lozenge, like like you mentioned. Um, and so that's, uh, that's like 30, 35% absorbed. Uh, like 30, 35% of it actually gets into the bloodstream and is like has the effect. Um, IV is, is 100% bioavailability, right? Just directly into the vein. Um, in my mind, it's kind of clunky because people have to sit there with an IV in their arm. And um, so it's a little bit, it's just a bit of a different experience having that. And then I like intramuscular partly because um, we just we just drop it into the muscle and the deltoid or the glute, whatever whatever muscle group it is, and then it's it's done. The person's going, and so one of the reasons I like that is that um, the only way out is through. And I don't mean to sound like a hard ass or um, like I'm trying to traumatize people or whatever, but I feel like if there's an IV in and you can stop it at any point, um, you might not be able to get as deep as you otherwise would would. And so, and we have, we definitely have um, trained professionals on staff here that um, that definitely know what they're doing. So, it, like, and can help people to get through any crises. We have the meds that we need to bring people's blood pressure down if that's if that's indicated. We have other meds to, to kind of calm people's nervous systems down. So it's not like we're being medically dangerous when we do this. But I just like the idea of um, making a decision to do it. You, you dose it, and then that's you just go on your journey wherever that takes you. Um, there's something different about that than, than like, having it out. Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, basically, it's just like a V12 injection. I don't know if you guys have done one of those, but it's um, about the same volume uh, as a B12 injection. And, uh, yeah, and then we uh, just hold space for you and let you do your, do your whatever you're going to do. You basically yeah. take a nap in a recliner chair. Mm-hmm. In a cozy room. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> we try to make it, we're trying to make it cozy. It's good. Cool. <laughs> yeah, so that's... Um, all right, that's that. <laughs> okay, so next question um, <laughs> that I had prepared. Um, oh, yeah, Themes. I've been really into storytelling recently mm-hmm. and like, um, cause the stories that we tell ourselves end up like there are ways that we can like get into the subconscious mind and figure out like, Hey, yeah, what's like, what is this story that I'm telling myself? Like that thought that come pops into your head saying, Oh, you're not good enough to do that. Or you're, um, or, Oh yeah, this will be easy. Whatever it is like that is way more deeply ingrained than, than you even know. Like you might've like pick that up zero to seven years old like your parents said yeah this is easy to do this Mm -hmm. is how we do it and you're like it clicks in and that's like your pattern that's how you how you interact with that experience or that um that event and it works the opposite way too like if somebody says something's hard or whatever and you pick that up and you internalize it you buy into it so to speak um that's the story that you tell about that so 
what what kind of themes have you been able to identify and, and what have you learned from them? We get like, yeah. I think one of the ones that, I mean, clearly there's been a lot. I've been on my healing journey aggressively for probably the last seven years and then in totality, obviously, for a really long time. But I would say actively following a healing path for a decade. So a lot of a lot of things have come up, but some of the things that I went through probably haven't occurred for just like the general population. I feel like I had a specialized version of trauma that is now helping me sit at this table and help you heal the planet, right? So I think that I was keyed and positioned to go through some really interesting things to get me here. So one of the things I will talk about that I think is a theme for everyone is that when I was a kid, I remember very vividly you know, our, our beliefs about money, they're ingrained in us from a very, very young age. And past the age of six, they say pretty much all of your belief systems, a very large majority are already there. Yeah. And so for me, at the age of six, my parents actually were, at that time, still very much in love and um, very poor. And so it was something where, you know, we shopped at Goodwill and we had, you know, there was never really enough. Like it was just very made to know that there was never enough. Like money, there wasn't enough for our family. When I was in fourth or fifth grade, my dad actually got an amazing job in our life, pretty much like Cinderella story, got blessed. And so I got to watch what that did to my entire family, to my parents' marriage. Um, he then, from that moment forward, was never home. He was always across the world traveling. My siblings, who, I, this is my adopted family, but my siblings, full blood, never had parents around. We know, like, starved off the supply. So while the original belief was there's never enough. Now the belief shifted into there's never enough. That's the low level. But then now we had a ton, but there's never enough for me, right? So there's all this money out there, but I don't get it. And we still lived kind of the same exact lifestyle because, at, you know, there was like a lot of like a stingy mentality. So for me getting into entering my 30s, I was still very, very poor. Like anyone who actually witnessed that part of my life, I would get really good jobs or really good offers, right? And I would recreate that story of like, there's all this money, but I can't seem to hold on to it. or I can't seem to get it into my reality, into my life. And so that's where the subconscious programming has been super helpful because I could not access that belief. I kept, I would end up in situations where I would self-sabotage and get myself fired or I would subconsciously choose jobs that were completely misaligned. Like, why am I going to work at a job where I have to sit and be quiet when I'm an extremely talkative person? So just low-level choices, unconscious choices I was making that resulted in me being let go or not making enough money or not being valued. And so money, for me, one of the things that helped a lot is those listening to things while I sleep because it started to rewrite a program that I could not access while I was awake. So I think that that is something that everybody everybody can benefit from doing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and this whole idea of um, like people being in this more subject sorry uh, suggestible is the word I was looking for suggestible. There's a certain brainwave associated with it called theta, mm -hmm. and um, and it's like a deeper, slower uh, wavelength than um, than states of arousal like um, like beta is like hyper intense focus on something um alpha is more of like a relaxed state of focus but this theta is like you're just you're like a sponge you're picking up whatever whatever's coming in there's like no filter mm -hmm. and so and so yeah by by identifying the, the themes in those stories like you mentioned like there's just never enough no matter what this like whether whether there was enough or not like mm -hmm. it never got to me 
Like these can sometimes manifest in really surprising ways in people's lives. Um, and that's, and they can cross, um, through domains too. Like they can go from money to love or from money to, um, beliefs about yourself, about your capabilities or whatever. So totally. Yeah. So, so one of the ways that I like people to, um, if they're not really aware of what these stories are and they're like, they have this pattern that they know they don't like, but they're, they're kind of like, they can't, they just don't have a hold on it is, um, is storytelling. It's a good place to start. So having people write out, um, whichever, whichever way they want, um, first person or third person, just the, like the story of the major events in their lives, like the things that had the most emotional associated with them. And then also writing it in the, the other, like the flip side, if they opted for first person, switch it to third person. And then sometimes they get different insights based on that shift in perspective. And then, yeah, just figuring out, oh, wait a second. So, yeah, when I lost that match, when I was in, like, that chess match when I was, like, <laughs> eight years old and, like, I knew I, if I made this decision, I would have won or whatever, and then I just didn't do it. And then, like, yeah, when I was 14, I, like, made a decision that got me fired or whatever it is, like, never getting what you want because of, like, a similar thing, like, just bowing out because you don't want to be the center of attention or whatever it is whatever that theme is, like at least finding it is, is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. So storytelling, I think is a good way to do that. One of the things that somebody told me that I still think of now, even it doesn't matter how much money I end up with. Like, I think it's something I'll always say is it takes just as much energy to attract $1 as it does a million dollars. It's just contingent upon how much you think you deserve and how much you think you're capable of, capable of getting. And mm-hmm. so I used to do exercises with myself where I would imagine I think it was $3,000. I would imagine $3,000 in my bank account. And I was so radically uncomfortable with that number. I could not, it was, I was so, you know, inept at that time at making money. I could never have imagined having three grand in my bank account. Mm -hmm. And so I had to start around $300 and I had to sit with that. And then when I got comfortable with that, I would, it was over the course of probably a year or two. And I finally got it up to like 10 and then 15 and then it was like okay these now if it dips you know if I had less than ten thousand dollars in my bank account I think I would have a panic attack because I literally have gotten so ingrained in my mind that like this is what I'm worth and this is what I need at all times and so yeah now I have to make it a hundred grand or a million and that has been really really important to me because truly the universe God your creator whatever it is that people believe in they want you to live in a mansion and have a Maserati. It's you that are in the way of living in a mansion and having a Maserati. Like no one cares. No one cares how much abundance you have. That's like not, it's not wrong to be rich. And I think that that's a right. big spiritual belief Yeah. that you and I misalign with. Oh, yeah. Cause we talk about that all the time. Almost definitely. I'm still working on that. Too. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. For sure. Dude, like um, it's okay. But I like this idea of you mentioning like starting at what you do feel good about. Yes. Like I feel like a lot of people do this with affirmations. They say like, I'm super successful, but then they feel a negative emotion when they yep. look at that and yep. then they're just attracting the opposite. Yeah. They so undo they have it. To, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I like that idea of like, pick something that you can get on board with. Like I can be successful some of the time mm-hmm. or under these circumstances or whatever it is. And then as you give that more, more attention, more momentum, then it builds and, and it changes and it recalibrates the way that you, yeah. The way that you look at things. What if you were to say like, as well, I just thought of this too, like I asked, I ask to heal whatever is in the way of me feeling successful. So then you're starting to work on the energy that's the block as opposed to like, I'm not a millionaire. You're not a millionaire unless you're hiding it. Not yet. 
Like, (laughs) we both know one day we will be, right? (laughs) And we're moving towards it. But I think that for me right now, instead of doing exact amounts at this point, now I just say, please remove anything that's in the way of my highest good. And so, like, money for me is a tool. With a million dollars, I'm going to be able to help a lot more people. Now, you know, it's not for the Maserati or the mansion. That's like an overflow, right, for me. And I think that being of service to the population and then just allowing you know, whether that's, you know, whether you make $30,000 a year or $300 million a year, I think that just aiming your life towards being of service will always make it so that it's easy. You know? I like that. I have two things to say. Let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> About that. I think, I think you're right. I think ultimately if you look underneath the reason that you want, or for the reason that you want anything, whether it's a partner, whether it's a million dollars, like, I think ultimately what we want is the feeling, not the actual thing. Yes. The thing is what we think is going to get us that feeling. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it might not even bring us there. Like, right. I heard somebody say the other day that um, you aren't necessarily happier if you have $300 million versus like the $97,000 or whatever that you need yeah. to live. Like, so as long as you have enough money to keep the bill collectors at bay and you can pay all your bills or whatever, more money isn't necessarily going to get you more happiness. Yeah. It's not like this exponential growth curve. So like... And I think this is why people at a certain point, they start to like, they want to give back and, and provide more service and things like that. Cause there's more depth of those feelings that emotion that people can feel mm-hmm. in things like service rather than the pursuit of money just for money's sake. Right. And I, and I'm not saying that it's, again, it's not a good or a bad thing to have money. It's like, why do you want it? Mm-hmm. Is it because you want to be, you know, whatever it is, um, it's a really depressing feeling when you make this whatever number it was that you wanted and it was so unfathomable and then you hit it and you, it, you know, every, every successful person, probably myself, and I don't know about you, but I had a moment where I clocked out the month at a number I never thought that I would hit. And I remember I always tell people that was the moment I realized that money doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I realized how many things in my life were out of balance that would have meant so much more to me than having that amount of money come in that month. And that was such a huge slap to my ego because it in that moment at 31 years old, I I thought, well, crap. Like now I have to really (laughs) stop and figure out why I am on this planet and what's going to make me happy. And I think that you could run into a lot of successful people that probably have had a moment like that. Um, And if they haven't, I think it's coming. I think that I don't think that you can live. I think that you can only party and purchase your way out of finding your purpose for so long. I think that a lot of people, you know, later in their life might figure it out. So maybe I came to it early, but that was a really, that was one of the worst moments of my life and the best, but also the worst because my, you really, truly realize how much money doesn't matter. Yeah. But then you get way more successful because you don't care anymore. Right, right. Like no, you that's, just that's like, the dichotomy. That's what, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then, but this is a cool thing. This is one of the things I appreciate about, appreciate about you is that when you hit that thing, you hit that, um, whatever it is, that paradigm potentially paradigm shifting idea or, or whatever it is that challenge like one way is to like is to expand your worldview and like take that into mm-hmm. account and like live your life with that new truth yeah or you can just say like uh no that's not right and just keep going on the path that you were on before so um like block it out yeah yeah and just rationalize it whatever it is and then just not integrate it yeah but so this is I think an important part of growth and and development and healing really too is like expanding your worldview where you need to like seeing things that you haven't seen before and being like open to them yeah absolutely cool 
The other thing I wanted to say is like this whole service thing. Like, there's a lot of suffering in the world, and like, life can suck sometimes. One of my, <laughs> I don't know why this is so damn funny to me, but somebody said um, <laughs> to me once, "Life sucks, and then you die." And yeah. It's not really funny, but like, I think everybody says that too. I don't know. I guess <laughs> we. Have, I think we've all said that at some point, but I mean, there is suffering in life. But one of this idea, one of the ideas that I think is really powerful is you said acts of service. Um, like aiming at the highest good you can imagine really just takes away all the unnecessary suffering it seems yeah um, absolutely. because then you're you, it's like this you're not just focused on yourself you're focused on doing the best you can for people and making the world a better place in whatever way you can and not just I think it's a it's a good way to orient yourself in the world against chaos and suffering and mm-hmm. crap I think that that would be a good um, topic in and of itself is just like I read this book called The Law of Divine Compensation before I opened my company and I have read all the business books like you know this I, I don't watch TV I'm not really a huge fan occasionally I will but all of my free time is spent reading and learning and the best 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 book I ever read for business had nothing to do with business and everything to do with being of service and I noticed that you know, I've gotten my money energy to the point where even when I quit being... So the law of divine compensation, basically it says that everything that you do, you're being of service to others. You're not concerned with the financial output. You know that it's coming because everything that you do in your day-to-day life is something that the universe or the world or God has aligned for the person receiving it. And so I was really good with my money manifesting. So my money never actually wavered when I lost sight of the divine law of compensation. What happened was I became miserable. And so it wasn't even like the money was still coming in, but it had no value. And so that in and of itself was just like a very, it was like a very challenging lesson for me. And then the moment I went back to like, it's not about the money, it's about what you give people. The money came in even more and then I felt happy again. I've had experiences like that too. I can testify to that. Right? That's crazy. You like, we get into these robot modes where even our passion, right? We built brands around our passions. Mm -hmm. It becomes work. If you don't live your life that way, it becomes drudgery. Yeah. And it feels the same as a nine to five. And to me, it felt for a while until I got back into the flow of that. Right. No, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Um, cool. So that is that. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you. That concludes our show for today. If you liked what you heard, please check out trueresilienceims.com. That's true resilience. I for integrative, M for medical, and S for solutions um, for more content and information about the practice. You can also download my free ebook titled Neurological Strength by heading to that URL. And if you could also please share this with somebody who you think that it could really help, that would be fantastic. This is Dr. E, and until next time, stay strong, people.